Hey, Cracked fans. We are so excited to be welcoming our friends at Turna back to this show as a supporting sponsor moving forward. Now, of course, all of you tennis fans know Turna Tennis for their world-famous Turna grip, that iconic purple-colored grip you see on the rackets of so many different professional tennis players. But did you also know that they make the tackiest grip in the world? That's right, folks, the brand-new Turna Tennis Mega Tack Grip. It's the tackiest grip on the market. It starts tacky and, simply put, stays tacky longer than any other grip you'll find out there. And if you tell your opponent, what do I use on my racket? I use the Mega Tack. You're going to be attacking with that Mega Tack from start to finish. If you've seen anything we do at Cracked Rackets, you know I'm a hairy guy. As you can imagine, I sweat when I play. The only grip that works for me is the Turn of Tennis grip. Of course, the Mega Tack taking things to the next level. How can you get yourself hooked up with a Turn of Grip today? It's simple. You're going to either find it wherever you buy your tennis goods. Or you can email them directly by emailing sales at uniquesports.com. That's sales at uniquesports.com. You mentioned Crack Rackets sent you in the email. We would greatly appreciate that as they let you, them know that we sent you there. But more importantly, you get a free sample and they'll treat you as family moving forward. Again, you email sales at uniquesports.com. You mentioned Crack Rackets. You get the free sample. You get hooked up with our friends at Turner. Once you use a Turner Grip, you're never going to turn anywhere else. Of course, again, ask them about the mega tack the tackiest grip on the market contact sales at uniquesports.com and get started with our friends at turn to tennis today welcome to hey great shot this is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we've got a summer edition of The Deciding Point, our look at everything happening in the college tennis universe, of course, in the summer months. That means looking towards the pro circuit. Of course, countless current players, former, future college tennis players, all competing in the ITF events found throughout the globe each and every week, of course. We also have some coaching news, some recruiting news, some players who have turned pro. Obviously, Cam Norrie reaching the semifinals, becoming just the third man with collegiate ties to reach a men's single semifinal in the 21st century. There's a lot of college tennis-centric or college tennis tangent news available for us to discuss as such. We have gathered together once again on today's podcast to cover it all, and of course, if we're playing to discuss all things in the college tennis universe. You know I'm going to bring on one of my buddies to help me do just that. Joining us on today's podcast is a man you know best as one of our co-hosts of The Deciding Point. He joins us each and every week to tackle everything happening in the Division I women's college tennis world. Of course, you also know him as a returning champion on this podcast. Founder of the No Ad No Problem blog, writer and contributor to our website, Cracked Rackets. It's our friend, John J. Parsons. Jay. Hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show, my friend. How are you doing? I'm great. I've been staying on the college beat while you've been covering Wimbledon. Hope you're ready to get back down and touch down with your roots, uh, you know, two weeks away covering covering the Grand Slam. Uh, I thought we would uh, reconvene and cover some uh, some exciting topics happening in the collegiate world. I'm glad you bring that up. I just went on this rant on an edition of Tennis Point Tuesday with Nate Walrith. I was watching the Rome Challenger earlier today and on mm-hmm. Monday as well. And I was watching Rome Challenger qualies because, of course, my guy, Pat Maloney, my best shot to ever sit in a player's box at a Grand Slam, uh, was playing Patrick Kipson, Battle of the Pats, in qualifying. And you have to understand, 2012, 13, 14, 15, really a lot in 2016. I was watching the Challenger streams each and every day. I'm watching Challenger streams while I'm sitting in class in my college lecture halls. I'm watching it as we're getting ready to go out. My roommates are like, all right, you ready to go? I'm like, well, third set breaker. Like, I'll see you guys there in 10 minutes. And I just don't do that as frequently as I need to. And part of that is diving into all things ATP and WTA and spending more time watching women's tennis than I used to. But 
I'm getting back into it this summer. I'm making a commitment, and I think it's our coverage of the SoCal Pro Circuit, which of course has yep. featured so many different college players, which is something I want to talk about on today's show. Get your reaction to all of the college success we've seen in SoCal and throughout the globe. But it is nice, right? Like first round matchup, you know, Rinky Hijikata loses seven six in the third. I'm blanking on who oh to Hattie Habib. Hattie Habib yeah. And that's like a first round match in Rome. That's right in my strike zone. Let me just tell you, Mike Cation on the call as well. It was nice to be back, Jay. Good. Welcome back. We've missed <laughs> you down down in this world. Um Yeah, there was no, no question there. I just had to vent. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Um, no, I'm excited to chat. Um, it's been a few weeks since we've caught up, so well, this will be a fun one. Yeah, we've got, again, some player direct news. We've got some tangential news that's certainly going to take uh, change up the college tennis world. We want to talk about it all on today's show. Of course, the reason we're able to do that here on the Great Shot Podcast is because of the support we get from all of you listeners. And I know many of you enjoyed our Ace of the Day segments where I offered picks for each and every day of Wimbledon. We're hoping to do that more frequently this summer now. We're waiting on confirmation of a sponsor, but things are pointing in the right direction. And I don't want to give the entire bag away, but I'll say this. When this sponsor lands, we'll feel like kings on this show. You see what I'm saying. We'll feel like kings. So we may have some more Ace of the Day segments coming from all of you, uh, coming for all of you listeners, excuse me, in the near future. But of course, in the meantime, we are immensely grateful to the support we get from our friends at Turna who have been providing the best grip in, I'll say it, you know, we have the GOAT discussion, Djokovic, Federer, Nadal, Serena. It's unequivocal who the GOAT is in the grip game. It's Turner grip. Everyone can identify a Turner grip. If you see that bluish, purplish hue on the bottom of someone's racket, doesn't matter if they're a pro, college player, local player, you say, oh, you're using Turner grip. Does it work? And to a T, they'll all say yes. But did you know Turner not only offering that iconic grip, but award-winning strings as well and so many other appliances that can help accentuate the finer features of your game. If you'd like to learn more or perhaps you're just ready to join the Turner team today, you can contact them by emailing sales at uniquesports.com. You mentioned we here at Crack Racket sent you. They'll hook you up with discounted prices, hook you up with free samples as well. Again, that's email sales at uniquesports.com to join the Turner family today. With that said, Jay, let's get into it. Summer edition of the deciding point. That means we get to freestyle a bit. And let's talk about something that, truth be told, has no, was in no way decided due to its college tennis implications. It was the furthest thing on the mind of school presidents, athletic directors, conference presidents. They were not thinking about the implications of how this would impact college tennis. That said, conference realignment is back, and it has struck in a big way. And if you've listened to our episodes of The Deciding Point, you heard me report that this February, USC traveling to Michigan to play in Ann Arbor the week prior to the National Indoors. That was going to be a home-and-home home series that Coach Steinberg, Coach Macy hoped to extend into the near future. Turns out they are going to be extending it into the near future as we learned the news that sent shockwaves across all college athletics, not only USC, but UCLA. Two of the five most storied programs in all of college tennis heading to the Big Ten. Now, of course, there are football, basketball, countless implications in this decision. But that also means, folks, they will be playing in the Big Ten for tennis. And that, of course, means you're getting two programs for USC. They won five national championships from 2009 to 2014. They were the 2020 national indoor champions, played USC damn close, uh, USC, excuse me, played Ohio State damn close in last year's NCAA round of 16. And it is a team that's bringing just about the entire gang back 
next season. Of course, that's just on the men's side. On the women's side, you bring back an Aaron Cayetano who just won her first pro circuit title and obviously is coming off of a season that saw her ranked number one in the country in women's college tennis. Snow Hunt just captured her first pro singles title. They bring in an impeccable recruiting class. And look, I'm not going to do the same spiel because I want to let Jay talk, but I think we all know what UCLA, men's and women's tennis, means to college tennis, whether it's Jennifer Brady, who reached the 2021 Australian Open final, or the fact that we have Max Cressy, Marcos Giron, and Mackie McDonald all inside the top 75 of the ATP rankings currently. These are two of, again, the five premier programs in all of college tennis. They provide a nice boost to the Big Ten moving forward from a competitive standpoint. Now, there's so much more to unpack in this decision. Jay, I'll start here. Your reaction to this news? Um, Well, first off, you know, the Big Ten men's side quickly becomes the winningest conference in men's tennis history. So I'm sure (laughs) you appreciate that. I mean, I have digested this news. And while you mentioned that the presidents and chancellors, no one was thinking about college tennis, but that's what we are here for. Um, I've kind of had three stages of this. You know, I've grown up, I grew up in the Bay Area, grew up a Pac-10 fan and a Pac-12 fan. You know, many great memories, you know, Stanford, USC football games, tennis matches. So the first reaction was shock uh, of just like, (laughs) you know, wow. Um, the second was a little bit of frustration and, you know, you mentioned this, but this was a decision that's dominated by college football, right. And TV contracts. And initially it was kind of like, man, it's just taking these other sports, these Olympic sports and even non-Olympic sports as well, just kind of for a ride. Right. And the idea of, you know, the USC women traveling to Maryland for a conference match, like in a lot of ways is really farcical. And it kind of is a dissolution of like the entire notion of what it means to be in a conference, right? In a lot of ways that is like slowly, you know, degraded over the years, but this really kind of felt like the final nail in the coffin, right? We did see Texas and Oklahoma last year go to the SEC, but this feels like, not only the final nail, because it seems like it'll be the domino for a whole host of other realignments that they think is coming. And it kind of reinforces that like region no longer matters. You know, culture isn't really the thing that ties these conferences together. What matters is how much your school can demand in a TV contract. And that was a tough pill for someone who's such a big fan of college sports and what it makes it so unique versus something like the NFL. That was a tough pill to swallow. Now it's a little more of like, so that was the second phase. The third phase is now just like a wait and see approach, right? Because the reality is, is we're talking 2024, 2025 for the SEC. There's so much that can change in two days, let alone two years. And it's really hard to get like worked up or kind of like prognosticate like what this will look like when the reality is, is just USC and UCLA going to the big 10 is likely not what conference matchups will look like in 2024, 2025 season. And so, you know, the reality is, is is we wait and see, uh, and we wait and see kind of what, what other dominoes fall. And then we can kind of get up in arms about it later on. We would love to be able to diagnose every aspect of this decision to be able to offer criticism, informed criticism, I should say, of former PAC 12 commissioner, Larry Scott's 11 year tenure as the Pac-12 commissioner and how that tenure was filled with countless failures, including not arming up in the TV rights race with the SEC, with the Big 12, with the Big 10, ACC, and partnering with major networks like Fox, like ABC and ESPN to prominently showcase the network and feed into that TV revenue. Again, I have listened to smarter people than myself. I would point to an episode of the Ryan Rosillo podcast where he broke all of this down. There is plenty of criticism to go around of the Pac-12. And again, I will speak for you here, Jay. That's just not our place to do that. You talk about the additional dominoes. You're absolutely right. To your point, when Texas and Oklahoma left the Big 12 and went to the SEC seemingly out of nowhere, all we could think in that moment is, wow, 
what's coming next. Now, geographically, a Midwest-centric conference that originally was the Big Ten for them to absorb two L.A. schools, yeah, that's unexpected, even more so than Texas, which is a stone's throw away from Louisiana, Arkansas, the Mississippis. It doesn't totally... You know, Arkansas and Texas have been in a conference before. It doesn't not make sense. Oklahoma— Well, and they have Texas A&M now in the SEC. Exactly. And geographically, I think Oklahoma, Texas, we would consider them southern, maybe not as much eastern, but it makes sense culturally, you know, geographically, politically. You want to get into all of those things, whatever. For the Big Ten to take USC and UCLA, you're right. Now there are some things just floating out there. And again, we're not going to prognosticate where these schools are going. But from a college tennis standpoint, Stanford, the coup de grace to have the winningest women's tennis program, not by a little, by a lot, in your conference. Will they stay in the Pac-12? Will the Pac-12 expand schools? Will Stanford go to the Big 12? Will it go to the Big 10? Will it become an Ivy League school? It's a fascinating question to ask. I don't think Ivy will be the answer because athletic scholarships are a big part of what Stanford does. But, and they're, by the way, their athletics are probably most successful the, women's the athletic. winningest yeah. athletic program in the country. Yeah, well, no, I mean, there's no denying it. I, you know, again, <laughs> I was just going to be a jerk reaction, but it's like, no, that's factually accurate. Yeah, there's no denying that. That's a hidden gem out there. Of course, the next question, and you hear rumors already, what do you do with the ACC? And in my mind, totally unbiased, Duke, Virginia, UNC, don't those feel more like Big Ten schools than they do SEC? Now, that's completely arbitrary. Feel. What does that mean? Academically and athletically, all these different things. But is the ACC yeah, next stuff? Feel like, is out the window, right? We just talked yeah. about how like region culture, these things are completely out the window. Like they're looking peer numbers. What are you bringing in for your football games? What are your TV contracts? Which Those brings things me are going to question, be dominating. Virginia next to Washington, D.C. There are a lot of University of Michigan grads in Washington, D.C. There are a lot of Big Ten grads. I mean, there are a lot of every grads in Washington, D.C., of course. It's D.C., but what draws more? A UVA-Florida game or a UVA-Michigan game? I wonder, football-wise, because like that's the decision they make if the ACC goes awry. I mean, again, we're playing complete projection here. There's no report right now that the ACC is breaking up. Of course, you hear rumors about certain schools I, I looking at certain pathways, but I guess my final question on this note, Jay, is, is this the end of this? No, definitely not. I mean, you know, if, if you're coming up with all these permutations, there are people much smarter than you getting paid much more to come up with like the exact permutations that they want to go and hunt after. But I think just to bring this back to tennis, right? Yeah. And there's a few things like one is what becomes very clear is there is a world where these teams are traveling cross country for games, but there's also a world, and this is why I'm kind of in this wait and see category where football, your, your football conference doesn't need to, you know, determine your Olympic sports conference. Right. And there is a world where your Olympic sports are more regional uh, for a lot of purposes for weather, all that sort of stuff, travel, like the expenses could be too much. So I think that's what I'm most interested to see, not necessarily what this means from what football uh, conferences people land in, because I think at the end of the day, we're moving towards a world that there's going to be a few mega conferences, but I'm curious to see how this translates to tennis uh, and what that means for travel and operational expenses. Not to f the first to make this joke. You look what they're going to do. They're going to make one mega conference and then they're going to be in that mega conference. They're like, wait, what if we divide by region in the mega conference yeah. and you just play <laughs> in your mega conference regions and we call those regions conferences and we go from there. And it's like, are we just going to go full circle? Is that the inevitable yeah. pathway that this goes and we're just pooling rights now collectively? You're absolutely right. From a tennis standpoint, this is where the travel partner format, I think, does play to college tennis's favor, which is the idea of if you're USC, UCLA, yes, you have to fly across the country, which is miserable to have to do it every other week or two weeks consecutively. At the same time, you're not flying Maryland back home, Penn State, you know, or whatever back home, or you're doing the Michigan, Michigan State run in one weekend. Michigan's coming out and playing USC and UCLA. So you do get the two matches in. Travel partners help 
in that sense. But you're absolutely right about expenses. Like that is a fascinating, uh, f- particularly for these, again, non-revenue sports where expenses is always the center issue of every decision that is made. The last thing I would just say quickly on the college tennis part and then final word goes to you here. Boy, with these super conferences, how the hell is a non-power three, however many conferences we have left, power four team, going to make it as a top 16 seed? If you're now the Big Ten, which had Michigan, Ohio State, Illinois, which are perennial top 20 teams, those are your three quality victories. But we saw what the lack of depth, how difficult that is when you don't have five top 25 teams. Well, with USC and UCLA, the Big Ten now has five. The SEC is not going anywhere. Have you seen what the ACC women have been doing over the past two seasons? It's ridiculous. How the hell does a non-Power 5 team break through moving forward, Jay? That's probably my biggest competitive concern. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one on the ranking side, right? How do yeah. you even like get the wins to be ranked and, and break through, right? We've seen if you're not in the conference that's playing top 10, top 20 teams week in, week out, you can afford to lose those matches. You well, just it's need... also you have limited competitive dates. So it's like if we exactly. have a mega yep. conference, I have to play all these teams. Sorry, Middle Tennessee, we just can't play you. Or, I mean, put yourself in Middle Tennessee's shoes. Like, yeah. how do they break in, right? Yeah, how do exactly. they get, how do they get, get the dates um, to be able to play. And then you also, you just have to imagine like how many schools can, you know, fund these cross, you know, interstate, intercountry lines, it feels like to, you know, say, yeah, we're going to have the private jet for, for tennis and those resources that come with being in this mega, these mega conferences where they can afford to, you know, have a strong uh, budget for Olympic sports. I think it's the rich getting richer in, the, in that sense. And so I think it's tough to for schools outside of those conferences to have the resources to compete. Can we turn our fan brains on for last second before we move on? USC is yours Ohio ever State. off? Is yours ever off? I am an objective analyst, and that is something you will see shine through in the 2022-2023 season. That said, you can one of the linchpin matches of the 21st century. I said it, folks, Lynch pin matches of the 21st century 2009 NCAA championships Ohio State with an injured Matalure knocked off by USC Peter Smith and the Trojans captured their first national championship they go on to win four out of five in that run obviously Ohio State and the Buckeyes still looking for that first NCAA title we get that matchup every year now that's awesome and I mean again Uh, Schools like UCLA, USC, just mixing in here from a college tennis perspective, I really like it. I do like it. I'm going to be – again, you're right. This is very a Michigan-centric perspective. I know I can't turn those goggles off. But just to keep them on for a second, if we get it every year, if the Olympics – you know, the non-revenue Olympic sports are in the same athletic conferences as basketball, football, I'm in. I enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, it's great for a Big Ten fan, right? This is amazing. You've cemented yourself as if there's only going to be two conferences, you're in that, you're one of those conferences. So it's fantastic news. I think as a college tennis fan, yes, that match is great. That match now robs you of, you know, Ohio State being able to do maybe the Texas swing, right? If that increases the number of in-conference matches. It also means, you know, from a USC perspective, like, the Big Ten is a weaker tennis conference, right? They are going to have weaker matches, you know, which is, I think, is going to be a struggle. They're going to have to play indoors more. Um, well, that's you know, I the think question, it's pros and cons. too. It's like, what happens with Washington, Oregon, Stanford? If they stay in the Pac-12, you're right. What if they go as well? That's what makes this so difficult to answer because those are fun rivalries. And I'm sure we'll get to see them in Januaries and Februaries and warm-ups to the big events and when you're playing the non-conference schedule because at that point you can – fit them in more easily but that's very fair you're absolutely right again yes you get new matches but you were certainly robbed of some historic ones I will say I really hope and I know this is the furthest thing on the minds of anyone but can we play the Big Ten championships at the Ojai like do we get that in the settlement it's like okay you get USC UCLA and the Ojai 
you know, there was a commentator, I forget his name. He was doing the SoCal uh, Pro Open, but he definitely said that the Pac-12 gets to keep the Ohio. <laughs> yeah, I think his name is Bradley Klon. Uh, that's <laughs> funny. Uh, no, yeah, look, I'm just saying, I think you could convince every Big Ten coach after the winter months, hey, let's go play it at the Ohio. They'd be like, Don, let's do it. We're headed out. Um, so, again, fascinating, fascinating discussion. We'll certainly have more on it over the coming months. Uh, with that said, though, let's get into some other stuff. Let's talk some players. Let's talk some tangible things going into the next season. And let's talk about one of the big decisions. And I, when we spoke last, we may have discussed Peyton Stearns turning pro, making we that did. announcement. Certainly, she was the NCAA singles champion, unequivocally, if not the best, a top two player in the 2022 season. And the only player who would have a case to have had a stronger year than her is Emma Navarro, who has dropped three total matches in her yep. NCAA tennis career, was the single Can you name all three? Perez, Somariba, um, NCAA t- uh, Rejecki, or Ranchelli. Ranchelli. Yeah, I... NC State. Sorry, Simon. Shut up, Simon. Don't yell at me. I hear you yelling at your podcast that I got that wrong. Wrench Shelley, you know my respect for your program. Um, Oh, my God. The last one. It was the other Miami this year, right? It was to uh, Richardson. Yeah. Yes, I can name all three. Brain still works. I still got it. I told you. I'm I'm bringing it back. I shouldn't be that excited. It's my job to know those things. Um, That said, Emma Navarro out of uh, college tennis, justifiably so. She's already got a top 300 ranking, but Emma Navarro now turning pro officially. She makes her second pro final at the 60K in the Netherlands. And I mean, you posed this in the outline you sent me, so I want to give you credit because I think it's a fascinating point. There's a vacuum at the top of women's college tennis. There was a very clear-cut top two last season. It was Navarro, it was Stearns, it was everyone else. And while there were plenty of players floating in what I call tier two, tier three, players certainly in the conversation, you feel good about them against number one, but the locks of locks were Navarro and Stearns. There's a gap at the top of the game. I mean, so talk to me about the gap. Talk to me about the players you think could fill it. Well, it's tough, right? I mean, I felt like this is it was so clear cut the top two last season. And you you look at Emma Navarro, she's, I think about to break in again to the top 200, you know, Peyton Stearns was so dominant throughout the course of, of 2022, only losing one match, which she, you know, what's ironic. Emma Navarro only lost one match in her freshman debut, which she avenged in the NCAA final. Mm -hmm. Peyton Stearns did the same thing in her sophomore debut. She only lost to Connie mom in the dual season and Connie in the final. Shout out. Um, so look, they were clearly, you know, um, the creme de la creme last season. Obviously, there were a ton of other, you know, great players, but it, it opens up an opportunity. I think it's probably been a few years since we haven't had like, you know, you could kind of point to one or two top players um, on the women's side. So I think there's a lot of players. I think, you know, you just look at this past tournament, you look at some of the talent that UNC has on their roster, whether it's Fiona Crawley or uh, Carson Tangillig, who I think will have an exciting sophomore year. Same thing with Connie Ma, obviously NCAA finalist. Sarah Hamner had an incredible freshman season. Erin Cayetano's continued her form through the summer. So it's really anyone's to take. Um, I'll be very curious to see how the fall transpires, but um, it should be good. It should be exciting. There should be some fresh, sort of fresh faces at the top of the game. I think you named a lot of the good ones there. Again, Hamner Ma seemed prime for that sophomore surge, and certainly Yepafanova. You don't want to forget about her. Cayetana was number one in the country last season for a reason. But yeah, it feels like the door is open, right, for the Kari Millers of the world. The arena contoses of the world there are a lot of really good players who are coming back to college tennis next season is there a definitive number one I mean again all the UNC players NC State I didn't name anyone in the ACC all of them uh Chloe Beck would certainly like a word with me as well it's gonna be a really fun season uh certainly and while there is a vacuum at the top I think that makes this fall particularly intriguing does someone go on a run? I mean, Cayetano, Hamner were the definitive players yep. of the fall last season, and yet hanging over it was that we didn't see Stearns. We didn't see Navarro. 
we'll probably see everyone in the fall, right? Yeah, no, that's a great point, right? Is that I don't who would really be skipping the fall, maybe for one or two tournaments, but well, I someone mean, by clicks and large, this summer. It's like if Abby Forbes for some reason went on a massive run or you know, something like that, where it's just okay, now she got the wild card into the US Open and she's gonna go play that and something went extraordinary. Again, I'm I'm just using an extraordinary example. We've seen those sorts of runs, right? Where the US Open Challenger series uh for the men or it's I don't it's I don't know what it's called for the women, but the wild card series that they'll play mm-hmm. in the late summer months if a college current college player gets a wild card into the first event wins that special exemptions her way into the second goes on some sort of run right barring that i agree yeah barring that yeah. Uh, we should we should see everybody which um should be exciting right because last fall you know we don't see peyton stern she was injured emma navarro is out so yeah that's a great point um you know kind of brings the the collegiate fall back to the forefront you know how I know it's been a while since we've seen each other because you're still feeling great point. We're back in the honeymoon phase. It's This is clear to me, Jay. I'm still feeling what? That you're giving me great points. That you're oh. saying. Oh, yeah, I'm that complimenting you're, you. Yeah, exactly. We're yeah. in the honeymoon phase. We're back. Um, <laughs> so I've missed you too, my friend. All right. With that in mind, let's move on to something that was one of those hidden gems on the summer calendar that once you're in the circle, you learn about and texting you. And, you know, again, I was surprised. I texted you the field on the men's side, and I was surprised at your surprise because I thought we had talked about it before, but I realized it's very hidden is the right word, probably. And it, it's not publicly known that the USDA plays these wild card playoff events throughout the course of the summer, and they bring in the top guys, whether it be juniors or college players or players just to skip the collegiate level but are still in the early stages of their pro career. They have them come down to the USDA national campus in Orlando, and they have them play these hidden wild card playoffs, whether it's round robin, tournament format, what we have to discuss here on today's show is the college edition of that USTA wildcard playoff. And unfortunately, we only know about the men's side, just don't have the women's results uh, available to us. I know the format's slightly different for the men and the women, but we do have the eight players who played in the men's field. We have the brackets uh, that were presented in those as well. And it, look, it, it was a really fun field, and we can get into the absences as well, but you look at the two sets of groups. You had Sam Riffis, Micah Braswell, uh, Brian Cernock, and Tyler Stice, all those players. Again, Riffis, Florida, uh, Braswell, Texas, Cernock, North Carolina, Stice, Auburn. Love that, Stice. Auburn, shout out. One of the rising programs out there, certainly in the other bracket. You had Stefan Dostinik, Pat uh, of USC, Pat Maloney for Michigan. You had two players I'm blanking on, Murphy Cassone, Arizona yeah. State, and one more. Oh, and Alex Kotzen of Columbia. That was your two groups of four round robin play, two out of three sets between all of these players. You had the top players in each group advancing to uh, a final bracket of four. From there, those top four all receiving wild cards based on their degree of finishes. The top place gets a main draw wild card into Rome, I believe, into the Rome uh, challenger we see this week, or Indianapolis. I think it was one of the two. The uh, finalist gets a main draw wild card into a futures event, as well as qualifying wild cards into Rome and Indianapolis. The third place finisher, I believe, gets a qualifying wild card into Rome, as well as a main draw wild card into a futures events in Decatur or Champaign. And then the fourth place finisher, qualifying wild card, which I believe can turn into a main draw wild card at that future event as well. Well, in the end, here were your top four performers. Brian Cernock, undefeated in group play. He, Sam Riffis, advance out of group one. And then my guy, Pat Maloney, also advancing out of the other group. We called that group Gruskin, the other group, Group Parsa, in one of my group chats. Uh, Maloney advancing out of his group with Murphy Casson. Now, a couple of things worth noting. Stefan Dostinik had reached a Futures Final the week before this event. He flies from that Futures Final Sunday. It's a practice day Monday. They start play Tuesday. Now, I'm not making excuses. I'm just saying some context for the week that this wildcard playoff was held. You also had injuries keeping out Cannon Kingsley, who 
was invited to play this event, ultimately couldn't play due to injury. Elliot Spaziri invited to play this event, ultimately couldn't due to injury. And then, you know, the one who could have played this event had he chosen Ben Shelton, who ultimately opted out of this event. I think he will end up being okay with his pro ranking. We saw him really impressive win over Liam Draxel. Nice uh, three-set win today as well over Govin Nanda to advance to the second round in Rome. You know, those were some notable absences. Certainly, Andreas Martin of Georgia Tech, you feel like he would have had a claim to being there. J.J. Tracy, you feel like he could have had a claim to being there. Worth noting, it's only Americans who are inviting to this event in college tennis. Jay, I know I just ranted at you, so the floor is now yours. Your, your reaction to all of this? I have a lot of reactions. Um, the first is uh, my surprise to your text was not at this event, but at the inclusion of Patrick Maloney. Uh, <laughs> typically, they go fairly straightforwardly through the rankings. Um, so they skipped over a lot of players to include Maloney. Um, I think they incorporated made- a lot of UTR as well, which is much fonder of Maloney after this season. Oh, okay. I'm surprised to hear that. Um but I mean, he made the semifinals, so it was a, a great inclusion for them. So that was my surprise. Not that they have sure. this event. I, I'm a, a, enough in the know to know that this event is happening, but I'm not enough in the know to get the women's results. So if anyone is listening and <laughs> does have the women's results, you know, Jay, Jay, Jay tweets tennis. I'm happy to, to receive them. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I think first and foremost, this event, I don't know why it's hidden. I don't know why we need you know, can't just turn on the cameras, get someone on the call. Um, this is something that people are, would be really excited for. I think also the more that you broadcast something like this and publicize it, like this is a cool thing to get invited to. It's a great thing to play. It's a great opportunity. And it's just another one of the carrots that, you know, exists for having good results throughout college. With that said, it's, it's quite the ordeal for a handful of these wild cards. Um, you know, it almost feels like you don't need this event to tell you who the American guys are who should be deserving of wild cards. I would see it. I would prefer it almost more mapped to certain milestones that exist throughout the college season. For example, you know, if you make the NCAA quarterfinals, right, that's a U.S. pro circuit, um, you know, ATP challenger wild card or something like that. Um, it's a lot of tennis for these guys to play in the middle of the summer. Uh, to get wild cards that you likely know who the handful of guys are. So that's my first reaction. And then the second is, I don't know why they killed the American Collegiate Invitational, right? And for those that don't know, it was essentially this same event, right? You had eight men, eight American women invited to play at the U.S. Open uh, on the courts there. I forget exactly the uh, the carrot at the end, but if you were within a certain ranking the following year, you got a main draw wild card to the U.S. Open. If you were outside that, you got a qualifying wild card. Um, and also you got to play at the U.S. Open. Like I would be, I'd rather see this event be played at the U.S. Open, maybe not have that one challenger wild card, but have the opportunity for, for more visibility of college tennis on the biggest stage. You know, you've talked a lot about, I feel like you're the one that beats, beats the drum of like, how do we um, get tennis back at the U S open? And like, this feels like a great opportunity. It's a little late is the problem. I enjoy the fact that this is in late June because now you have the entire summer. And if you have a good summer, you can capitalize on that and play pro events in the fall. I think this is well-timed as an event to finish right after the college season, you have that but momentum that's where, from that. That's season. where, I mean, sk- skip the hidden thing, right? Tie no, these I wild agree with cards to performance during the collegiate season and, well, you know, do the showcase at the U S open. Here's where I disagree. Ranking the ITA rankings do not reflect how good Pat Maloney was this season. True or false. True. I also did not mention the ITA rankings as being goalposts. No, no, no. That could be one of them, no, right? No, no, no. I know you didn't. I am saying that's how it's currently determined. And I'm saying given the current criteria, I like the fact that this is held in late June because it allows the people who make these decisions. And by the way, a name I should have thrown out there, can't believe I didn't, Eduardo Nava, quarterfinalist at this year's NCAA tournament, had obviously – probably his best year of college tennis this past year at Wake Forest, a guy who's beginning his pro career, certainly belongs in this conversation as a guy who would like a nice little 
kickoff, a uh, chance to compete for this sort of thing. Yeah, the ar- making any sort of decision process arbitrary is always going to lead to conflict, always going to lead to some sort of criticism. And why did you pick, you know, the selection criteria, same for the NCAA show. Why did you pick this team instead of this team? Why did you pick this player instead of this player? The reason I say that is to your point, I agree. Having some sort of set criteria throughout the course of the year, maybe even, I don't know, incentivizing the fall so that you can play a fall event at the U.S. Open in coordination of trying to qualify for this sort of wild card challenge at the end of the year. These are all things that, at the very least, should be discussed publicly. Why not have the conversation? Why not find a way to make this cool and make it possible for fans to follow throughout the course of the year? That said, glass half full. I really like the inclusion of Tyler Stice. I really like the nod towards Bobby Reynolds and Auburn saying, we see what you guys were doing. Really frisky team throughout the course of this season. Obviously played great at the SEC tournament, was a top 20 team, top 25 team all year long, I should say, uh, and bring just about everyone back next season. Just had an NCAA doubles finalist in 2021. I like the nod to Stice there. I'm biased. Really like the nod to Maloney, who proved he belonged in this conversation. Not at the top of it, but in this conversation throughout the course of the season. He was not a guy who got a lot of USTA support throughout the course of his junior career. To put him on the radar, that's why I like that these events happen at the national campus. And just, again, to put these guys in front of the national coaches, put them in this environment— It's a good thing for college tennis. Like, this event is good for college tennis. I agree. It could be done better. But in a vacuum, I do very much enjoy this event. What's there to enjoy? It's results on paper. Yeah, I enjoy the concept. (laughs) The theory. I'm saying the theory. It's a great theory of an event. It's a great theory of an event. I totally agree with you. I think it can be a lot better. Um, For the reasons we discussed. And and yeah, I mean, it's a college all star event. It is. Yeah. It, I mean, played at the U.S. Open, right? Um, <laughs> sure. Like, turn on the cameras. Let's start there. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know if I would give too much credit on, like, the inclusion of Tyler Stice and, like, they kind of went by the rankings, right? There's a few exceptions of guys who were not there, like a J.J. Tracy's higher ranked. But, like, overall, other than your guy Maloney, who, who slipped in there, um, it was it was pretty much the ITA rankings, Um but yeah, I mean, overall, it's uh, it's a great opportunity. We just saw this in Rome, right? Sam Riffis gets the main draw wild card. Uh, the three other semifinalists get the qualifying wild card. Great opportunity for those guys to get some serious ATP points. No, absolutely. Murphy Cassone right now, hottest thing since sliced bread. Like just everyone's <laughs> on the Murphy bandwagon. Yeah. Um, all right. With that said, and again, we don't have the women's results, but you all know the women's collegiate team and it's players like Stearns, like Cayetano, like Hamner, who had uh, – DMs open though. Yeah, for both of us. Can you send a joint DM person who's going to send us that result? Because if Jay gets him before me, I'll never be able to live that down. Uh, With that said, let's move over to the coaching carousel. Couple of things to add here. First, Jeff Young, welcome back to college tennis. We knew the former Minnesota coach was going to get a head coaching job eventually. He ultimately lands back in the Big Ten at Purdue, where he will take over as the head coach. Of course, he served as associate head coach last season at UCF. We saw a promotion today. I apologize, I'm blanking on the name. Former volunteer, I believe, becomes the assistant coach there at UCF for the season. Or maybe I'm blanking on that was USF that named a new coach today. USF to UCF. US, so it was. So I'm on the right track. You're on the right track. Okay, that's again, the brain still somewhat works. But look, Jeff Young and the first NCAA tournament I ever attended was 2018. Jeff Young had the University of Minnesota, Minnesota in the Sweet 16. He has had the University of Minnesota, which historically, 1980s, early 90s, was one of the top programs in Big Ten tennis. And we can do that a different time. But He's too good of a coach to not be a head coach somewhere. And to see him take over a program at Purdue, I think it's a great hire from the Boilermakers. Yeah, no, it's a great hire. It's really cool to see um, their number one player from that 2018-18 team, Felix Corwin, take on the assistant job with him at Purdue. I think it's it's exciting. Uh, You know, 
Brian Shelton got asked, how does it feel to be the coach of your son? I'm curious who's going to be the first person to ask Jeff Young, how does it feel to coach against your son, right? With his son, Gavin, uh, with Michigan, uh, not a lot of times that that happens, but, um, you know, good to see Jeff back in the Big Ten. Let me just say my sources seem to indicate that there will not be a transfer, that Gavin Young will continue his career at Michigan. Okay, that was my that was my question. I was going to ask the Michigan Insider. Okay. Sources say it's strongly unlikely. Now, to which I always say, well, what about a senior year? Like, just go give dad one and just do it for a year, your final year. And sources indicate that's unlikely. We'll just leave that there. For I, now. I mean, if it's if it's going to happen, it happens now. It definitely does not happen your senior year. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, I agree with you. Um, <laughs> some other ones just quickly. And I know we've talked about some of them briefly, but we've seen some of the after effects of some of these decisions. A new one. How about Sabre going from San Diego over to LSU as the assistant? I think it's a really good hire, and clearly Coach Keckley knows how to pick him, whether it's Rich, uh, who's uh, Bonfiglio, now went from San Diego to Columbia to USC, Sabre now off to LSU. I mean, look, San Diego is perennially one of those non-Power 5 teams that is always in the mix, as good as any Power 5 program, and are constantly top 25, you know, top of their conference or competing for it with Pepperdine. I think Sebre, I, I again, I, I'm a huge fan of Sebre. We got the chance to hang out with him a little bit in Champaign. Proud of him. That's going to be, that's a great hire. Really like the staff, Coach Brian, Coach Ray at LSU. They're going to get things humming fairly quickly. Any reaction from you? No, I definitely echo your sentiments. I mean, the, the San Diego coaching tentacles are starting to um, propagate, uh, which is cool to see because they're not a traditional tennis powerhouse. Yeah, no, absolutely. And again, some of the other ones, certainly, uh, and you got to follow our guy, Parson Amati, for all of the most immediate updates. Yeah, I'll say it out loud here on the show. You're welcome for that compliment, my friend, Parsa. But Gary Needleman, that's the name I was blanking on uh, earlier today. You look at some of the other ones, certainly, uh, you know, Brett Foreman. Over to Charlotte. Charlotte's a school that's offered a you know, Tim Kapinski goes from Charlotte to Illinois. Now Brett Foreman mm. going from Wichita to Charlotte. I think Charlotte is another one of those schools that uh, you will see ma- you know, major programs hire from given the continued success Charlotte seems to have had. Felix Corwin, by the way, joining Jeff Young, coming he played for Coach Young at Minnesota. He'll now join Jeff Young uh, at Purdue. The other one that was interesting to me, and this is the one I had to scroll through to remember, Todd Petty stepping down at Texas Tech. I mean, Texas Tech is not that far removed from top 12, top 13, couple years consecutively. It's an interesting program, isn't it? Yeah, it absolutely is. Um, You know, same year of 2018, right? I remember they were in uh, in the Sweet 16 there at Wake Forest. So not far removed at all from having the success there. Um that's a big opening, right? For a, a conference that has now, what, the strongest conference uh, in women's tennis, winning um, the past two national championships with Texas and obviously Oklahoma's rise. So uh, a really good, and Oklahoma State uh, being perennially really good these past few years. I mean, look, that's a, a good opportunity for hopefully a, you know, a, a younger coach as well. Absolutely. And again, some of the other ones just to wrap up here. Shout out to Austin Rapp, officially heading to Clemson. My guy, well-deserved. He's going to be an outstanding college tennis coach. You also, again, just a couple more here. Hunter Nicholas, uh, officially the Arkansas assistant coach. Uh, Chris Simpson going back to LSU as the women's tennis coach. And, you know, then last but not least, Taylor Fogelman going to LSU as the head coach for the women. Justin Butch gets the promotion, and we saw the job he did with Peyton Stearns all NCAA tournament long. Coach Howard Joffe leaving Justin out on court with Peyton because that's who Peyton was most comfortable with. He stays in-house with the hire. Your reaction to all – I know I just threw a lot of names at you. Any of them in particular stand out? Well, with Justin Butch, it was, I thought there were really three options, right? The first was getting promoted at Texas. The second was joining the Peyton Stearns entourage. And the third was going to his alma mater, LSU, um, and following Fogelman. So, you know, um, great, great opportunity for him to be uh, the full-time assistant coach there. And look, a lot of openings happening with LSU. You mentioned both on the women's and men's side, you know, they are 
they had head coaches step down in both of those both those teams. So obviously they're uh, rebooting both of those programs. Yeah, and then you know, last but certainly not least, just because I like to give Harry Jaden a hard time. Shout out to Mike Flowers, hired as the MSU assistant coach. Flowers, a former USDA high performance coach who worked with Ozan Cola, Calvia Lopez, Ellie Coleman. Um, Look, I, I knew he was going to get someone with USTA ties. And certainly, again, recruiting for a young coach, a key for any program trying to build. Uh, certainly, I, I, I enjoy the high. You know, again, I would have preferred me, but like, that's, <laughs> that's a pretty good second choice. Well, we should say that Harry Jaden now back as the uh, head coach, head coach at, Michigan State. at Michigan State. We and Tim Kopinski, by the way, going to Illinois, which I think we mentioned on a pod. Not too long. I, maybe I had Chris on. I thought you were there when we said it. Maybe. Yeah, I don't recall. But um, yeah, and uh, maybe it was because um, they had Ozon uh, recommit, which was kind of sure. why it was like back in the news. But yeah, I mean, you know, this is the season for uh, coaching moves. Yeah, it's is tis the season indeed, my friend. Well, all right. With all of that said, again, we want to talk about the pro results. The last thing would be recruiting news. Uh, with all these coaching shakeups, you're going to see some players move around as well. Uh, certainly Kylie Collins going from Texas to LSU. We had heard she was on the transfer portal, ultimately uh, ends up with her former coach in Taylor Fogelman. You look for Texas now. Both Zamaripas out. Peyton Stearns out. Kylie Collins out. The good news in Marley Zane, in Taya Pachkaleva. You bring in a couple of top juniors in Rivkin, in Kieran. I mean, are they the biggest unknown heading into next season now? Well, yes and no. Um, yes, because they have such significant like roster turnover, but no in the sense that they've had significant roster turnover the past two years and they've won the NCAA title. <laughs> so uh, they've been able to do it before. Um, you know, quickly on, on Kylie Collins, I found this move shocking. I mean, I understand that she's following Taylor Fogelman, but she might be the only player in college athletics history to transfer from a national championship winning team to one that didn't make the tournament. It's a it, very good point. <laughs> It's a it's an odd it's an odd move. I mean, notwithstanding that she's probably one of the few people who transfer period from Texas to LSU. I mean, that alone is uh, is just a really interesting move. So um, that one I found I found surprising. Obviously, they're reloading and shout out to Parsa again. I mean, two shout outs but um <laughs> yeah I relax, mean, well, he, <laughs> he dropped like all of the all of the texas news at once um and then the other one that i found um ironic was patch kaleva right joining texas obviously she played the deciding match for pepperdine against texas uh lulu sun victorious in that match but uh if you can't beat them join them and that's what she's doing <laughs> it's fair um i mean again it's still a very interesting team. Ropalu's had a really good summer. She made a semifinal last week in the SoCal yeah. Pro Circuit. And, you know, again, you still bring back Shavatapan as well. Now, it's a little bit different because you brought back four starters this year and brought in all of these freshmen. Now, off of this team, you lose, what, Stearns, Collins, Zamaripas. So you lose four starters off of this team. It does feel a little bit more impactful. It is a little bit more turnover. That said, obviously, Pretty impressive group to get in. And then Jack Pennington-Jones committing to TCU. He joins a strong recruiting class with Sebastian Gersney. Now, you look at that TCU team, Famba's back. You know, uh, everyone, everyone. You know, Vivas is back. Um, I'm blanking on names, but everyone is back yeah. is the theme. Sander Jong's got Sander another, Jong. you know, he's back Fernley. for another year. Fernley is back for another year. They lose, obviously, Carlos Aguilar, but they lose Tim Rule. And but Tim Rule. Everyone else is back. And now you add Gersney, who just won the Wimbledon Junior Boys doubles title. You bring in Pennington Jones as well as the number six junior in the world, top 500 in the ATP already. I thought this year was tough to pick a national champion and then Florida separated themselves and then they didn't win it. I mean, going into next year, name out of a hat. Like some of these teams are just loaded, Jay. Yeah, absolutely. On paper, it's going to be impossible to pick. Um, so I have a question for you, though. 
Okay. So Pennington Jones, obviously, you know, big splash a year ago, signs with Andy Murray's agency, 77 Sports Management. Historically, that had kind of been a non-starter for college tennis. Uh-huh. I don't know how the rules have been updated now with NIL, if that's at all a factor, but should signing with an agency prevent you from going to college? No. Not in the modern tennis because, A, with NIL deals, I think it's just beneficial to have someone help you navigate that. And I think that's probably what this deal falls under is that it's someone helping him to navigate some sort of contract or some sort of something. Now, I'm not certain. Pennington Jones comes from Great Britain, correct? He's from the UK. And so, look, no one has – gotten more efficient at sending players off to college tennis in the right sort of fashion than the LTA. And so I promise you they have that worked out with Pennington Jones and figuring out how it works. I say no. You should have someone who's able to help navigate, particularly 17, 18 years old. And hey, if you want to dip your toes in the pro circuit and it doesn't work, you should have college as an option available to you to a point. Yeah, I mean, I would just clarify, right, that he did not sign with Andy Murray's agency with the intention of navigating NIL deals in college. It's true. Um, it's true. But, uh, but, but I'm saying he – but he also wasn't 22 years old. You know what I mean? Like it, it's different. Context totally. is key. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, and you're I, not I, denying I, that, but just to say. No, exactly. And I, I, I share that sentiment. I think, um, you know, no longer should this be something that's like a scarlet letter where you can no longer go to college just because you sign with some agency, particularly in the modern era. I know this was chatted about a few times with certain folks in Champaign, but overall, <laughs> I mean, I think it's, um, I think it's, I think it's fine, right? Moving forward. I actually think you identify one of the the larger issues maybe it, it is how many years you're playing on the pro tour before going to college. I think that's something that's probably mm-hmm. more egregious to me than, you know, a 17 year old signing with an agency and deciding to go to college a year later. Yeah. Very well said my friend. And uh, again, TCU adding a big addition to their roster. Still too early to start looking at the rosters and try and sort out what's what. We still have a transfer portal. We still have the Bresky December surprise. But with that said, let's move over to the results. And you look at the pro results that we've seen from players with college tennis ties over the past few weeks. They've been immense. And it starts at Wimbledon. Cam Norrie, third man joining John Isner, Kevin Anderson as the three players with college ties to reach the men's single semifinals at a major this century. Again, uh, you had uh, Desiree Krawich, the former, what, Arizona State? Arizona State. I believe wins her fourth mixed double slam back-to-back Wimbledon titles with Skupski, of course, former LSU standout. It's his second uh, mixed doubles title. And, you know, also she makes the doubles semifinal with Danielle Collins, who, of course, reached the Australian Open singles final at the start of this season. You had Alistair Gray reaching the second round. And I thought playing a really fun second round match before ultimately, again, just the pace of Fritz just sort of overwhelmed him you know let's just start with the main draw there to me it's the doubles just like every week and again 32 of the top 100 men's players right now uh in doubles have college tennis ties the website was down on chris's website so i don't have the uh women's number off the top of my head but obviously what i just spoke to epitomizes the success and garachi and obviously what Haley carter uh, uh, stefani was doing as well they're everywhere um and it's just a testament again the college tennis pathway. Maybe we're just looking at it more or we're providing it a platform to speak about it, Jay, but it's working. I mean, it absolutely is. Particularly, I mean, we talked about the doubles. I mean, you know, Desiree Krawcheck, you know, had a solid collegiate career, right? Was a good doubles player. You know, she's not someone that we think about um, as being, you know, a standout when we look back on the, on her years in college. She's won four mixed double slams. She's won Wimbledon twice. I mean, that's an insane professional tennis career and one that you can be so incredibly proud of. I think it's awesome that if even if the pathway isn't through singles, you can make a really good living on tour with doubles. If you're playing, you know, both mixed and and women's doubles. I mean, the the records that she's setting, the visibility that she's bringing alone to college tennis is really awesome to see, and it's just becoming so prevalent, right? It's typically you just look at the no, semifinals. Absolutely. It's like 
half the names, three fourths the names. So, you know, overall, um, you know, doubles is absolutely a pathway and it's a testament to how much they actually practice it in college because of its importance. Now, Krawcheck's a stud. And certainly, I think when you look across the board, whether it's the players making the, the leaps at the first, you know, it's not always, you know, Ryan Penniston, as we talked about a couple of weeks yeah. ago, just making the runs that he has made. Or uh, certainly as we start to get into it, you look at the ITF level players like Inyaki Montez, Chris Rodash, and, you know, Gabriel Diallo, Liam Draxel, all the Tennessee guys having success in Waco of all places last <laughs> week. Who stood out to you so far on the ITF tour this summer? Oh, that's a broad question. Um <laughs> Well, you know, we like to shoot uh, big. Talk to me first. Let's start on let's start on the women's side. Who's impressed you of late? Well, we haven't I and mean, we haven't talked about the women, right? I mean, so I would say um, you know, recently Carol Zhao won the 100 k in Charleston, former Stanford Cardinal, mm-hmm. who made the NCAA some uh finals in 2015. You know, she had had a really tough bout um really since you know 2020. Um, she just won her you know, first title since 2017, first at a 25K in South Korea, then she captures the title in Charleston. So that was really exciting to see. I mean, obviously you're tracking the success of Peyton Stearns making the final of 25K, kind of one of her home events in Columbus, Emma Navarro. Um, and then you, know, you mentioned Simon Earnshaw earlier. I'll give him a shout out to just the double success, right? If Jada Daniel and Nell Miller winning the title wasn't testament enough to uh, how good of doubles they play there at NC State. Priska Negroho, after her okay. freshman season at NC State, she wins back-to-back 25K doubles titles. So, I mean, there's a lot happening across the ITF circuit right now from a whole host of former collegians. Yeah, I, it's everywhere you look. I mean, again, on the SoCal Pro Circuit, you mentioned it, Cayetano and, you yep. know, Hans, Rob Lujan, McKenna Jones has just been so excellent. Yep. Um, but it's just, it's every week, it's someone new. And certainly we've seen the Zainalova sisters competing a bit as well. Or Zamaripa sisters. Zamaripa sisters. We've yeah. seen Zainalova is competing yep. separately as well. Yapafanova uh, has played in the action as well. I mean, I could list a list. I, I do think Emma Navarro, the 60K success that she had, it kind of was the right time for her to turn pro. And Peyton Stearns, who's reached a couple of quarterfinals, you know, on the pro circuit since turning pro, just getting a couple of wins each week, sort of finding her footing. Hasn't been surprising to see that at all. I mean, again, on the men's side, I don't think that so many college players fill these draws. It's not surprising to see so many of them end up in the winner's circle, but. I mean, so let's talk about the Tennessee Waco performance just quickly. Okay. Mitsui, Monday, Walton, all into the semifinals on Baylor's courts. Walton ultimately wins the title. Yeah. I mean, oh, my God. <laughs> like, just <laughs> do you think Makai flew out? Um, <laughs> I was going to make a, a joke with or without shirt. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I think that's probably one uh, you, you you watch on the stream. He's probably busy that's on the hilarious. recruiting trail. Um, but no, I mean that was um, you know that was quite the um, quite the showing from Tennessee. That rivalry is certainly becoming one for the books. Um, you know, but you know Baylor had success there with Boyton making the um, the final of the twenty five k in Dallas. There, his his third pro final. With or without shirt is very, very funny, Jay. I will be laughing at that for the rest of the night. Yeah, no, I mean, again, go ahead. I was going to say, I, we have to talk about Nori for a second. Because Please, let's do it. What I am not here is for a revisionist history where we all saw Nori's success in college. I 100% did not see this coming at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember watching his freshman season. I mean, he was batting 500 when they put him up at the top of the lineup. He was good down at three, but I never saw this coming. And it's, but what I have seen, right, is that every year at every level, he continues to improve, right? You look at how he can uh-huh. improve from his freshman year to the junior year before he went pro. So what a testament to the hard work he's put in. It's pretty remarkable to see of all the collegiate players we've seen over the years. If you were to tell me there was going to be a third added to the list of collegians making the Grand Slam semifinal, he would not have been on the shortlist. So 
Uh, it's pretty impressive. No, he's gotten fitter and fitter with every passing season, and that's a credit to him and the work he's put in off the court. I agree. I mean, again, you always saw the skill set, his ability to move the ball, how comfortable he was with everything that was hit at him. But for him to turn into the specimen he has physically and just the the patience, the tolerance, how just good he is at everything. There's not a weakness in his game. And I think he had that in college as well. Maybe he wasn't as good of a volleyer then as he is now, but just how proficient he is at everything. You can just tell it's a guy who gets a little bit better at each of the little things each and every day. And I know that's very anecdotal and cliche, but it's true. I mean, you could have told me he'd be, you know, the second coming of Iron Man, and I would not have guessed <laughs> he was going to be, you know, a top 10 Grand Slam semifinalist. So uh, super impressed with, with the work that he's done and the success he's had. And I mean, basically the takeaway about Wimbledon was that it was a TCU, you know, showing across the board. Main no. draw, you know, and boys got a good win today as well. No, again, we're missing some pro players, certainly. It's just because they're everywhere. Nate Ponwitz had some success of late, finding some momentum on the SoCal Pro Circuit, a couple of semifinals for him. I mean, again, the doubles success. If Ethan Quinn's not playing one doubles next year for Georgia, I will be surprised. That's how good he's been, you know, on, on the SoCal Pro Circuit of late. Any final thoughts before we wrap today's show, Jay? No, I think that's it. I think we've pretty much covered everything that's happening uh all the news and excited to to keep watching these tournaments absolutely well with all of that said again we'll try to do this more frequently now that things have slowed down a bit here in the summer try to look at all the itf results challenger results etc see who's standing out as we always keep an eye towards that 2023 college tennis season of course with all that said jay any pieces coming up no ad no problem or is it a little summer hiatus you yeah, well i've been on summer hiatus um, deserved. I, deserved <laughs> yeah. by the way I want to do my uh, my impactful transfers article. Okay. Uh, I was kind of waiting for all the bombs to drop there before doing that for the men and the women. So um, those will probably be coming out, you know, soon ish. Okay. Um, yeah, but that's that's next on the list. All right, looking forward to it as always, my friend. Well, with all of that said, again at J Tweets Tennis on Twitter to follow all of the latest ruminations in the wonderful mind of John Parsons. With that said, of course, a shout out as always to our super producer Daniel Westoff for the of an editing job he does day in day out, making all of this content possible. Shout out as well to our friends at Turner. Remember, email sales at uniquesports.com to join the Turner family today. And one last reminder. Thursday, Friday, Madison Keys Court of Dreams celebration of tennis event. You can follow it on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. Excited to speak more with Madison Keys, Katie McNally, and all the other participants at the event. With all of that said, for the fantastic John Parsons, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Turner, and from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jay, what do we tell the people? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all next time. Thanks, everyone. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 